Hey friends, it's Eric Hulkerin, and on this podcast, we are talking to Councilman James Tate from District 1 in Detroit about the Detroit Legacy Program. And my co-host for today from MLive, Gus Burns, and our guest from the city of Detroit in District 1, Councilman James Tate. Councilman Tate, how are you today? Doing well. Thank you for uh, having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, just spread the word about what we're doing with the adult use ordinance in Detroit. Well, we are very excited to talk about it. It's an incredible program. So as I was asking Gus right before we started recording, how long has this been in the works? And then we'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts of what it is. But the Detroit Legacy Program, how long have you been crafting this before it became something that's a reality? Yeah, so we've been working on this, we're working, we're working on the ordinance for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half or so. I started out with a group of about 40 or so individuals because we knew that the social equity component was going to be controversial and very difficult. So we wanted to get as many voices as possible in the room. Um, and we would meet over at the uh, Motor City Java House uh, in District 1, um, coffee shop, great spirit, great soul, uh, great coffee. Um, and... Uh, from there, we narrowed it down, the, the group itself narrowed it down to about seven members who were the leadership, the chairs of various committees. And we would literally meet on the weekends, we would meet at night, we would meet in the morning, day by day. And so uh, within that year and a half or, or, or so, we, we came up with what we see before us now. I'm very proud of it. You know, From the very beginning, I said that we had to make sure that uh, Detroiters had at least 50% of the licenses. Uh, the mayor uh, agreed with that uh, uh, shortly after. Uh, and we move forward. And uh, again, very excited about the uh, the prospects of what we have before us. So before Gus jumps in here and asks you some questions, for anyone who's not familiar with the Legacy Program, you sort of just hit on kind of the, the outside version of it, but can you tell people what it was, what it is, and why it's important to the city of Detroit? Yeah, the Legacy Program is a portion, uh, is a social equity portion of our, our, our adult use ordinance, um, licensing ordinance. And what it does is it provides uh, additional benefit incentives, if you will, for Detroiters to participate, um, which is a, it's been a challenge thus far in the medical marijuana industry. And uh, when you look around the country, adult use is also challenging in urban communities for participants who live in that municipality to uh, get involved and successfully participate. So we had to do a, be very creative. We looked around the country and saw uh, what worked, what didn't work, what lawsuits uh, were filed, which uh, things that we had on the table that we were trying to accomplish that very well may be thwarted as a result of lawsuits. And what we have in front of us, again, is our a legacy program. The legacy program, uh, some of the benefits that uh, legacies receive are uh, paying 1% of all Detroit uh, licensing costs, which is extremely important. Um, City of Detroit, we are charging uh, $5,000 per license. And so Detroiters would pay 50 bucks per license. But you first have to, of course, be certified as a legacy Detroiter. To do so, uh, legacy Detroiters have to show that they lived in the city of Detroit for at least a year prior to the uh, application. That's across the board, but there are three different ways. One way is straight up. If you lived in the city of Detroit and can prove that you lived here for 15 out of the last 30 years, you will be designated a legacy Detroiter. Uh, if you can show that you are uh, low income by federal standards, and have lived in the city of Detroit for 13 of the last uh, 30 years, you will be designated a legacy Detroiter. And then lastly, what I believe is the most important based upon the criminal prosecution of individuals in the city of Detroit and around the country, the unfair uh, way that uh, 
cannabis has been prosecuted, if you are an individual who has a marijuana uh, conviction, uh, you will have to have lived in the city of Detroit only 10 out of the last 30 years, part of which is because one, you may have been locked up and there were a number of individuals that were locked up for you know, a dime bag, $5 here, $10 there. And now they've had to sacrifice uh, years of their lives for the same plant, um, years of their lives in jail for the same plant that others are making a really good living off of. So those are some of the benefits, uh, reduced costs. We also are offering um, a reduction in some of the city owned land that is a zone for cannabis for uh, Detroit legacy um, uh, entrepreneurs and applicants. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like the, 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 the uh, nuts and bolts of the legacy portion of it. Um, but, you know, we're also looking to provide some technical assistance and some funding, uh, quite honestly and transparently, the funding is, aspect has been a little more challenging uh, than the others based upon the, the COVID situation that we're all in, many of the uh, funders that we would have gone to, that we have gone to, they're already participating in uh, helping the city of Detroit with small businesses. So trying to uh, double up on that has been a little more difficult, but we have some some uh, glimmers of hope, if you will, um, where, where it comes to additional partnerships that will help us with the, uh, the funding aspect. All right. Um, one thing that you had mentioned early on was controversy. And I guess I'm wondering, what is the controversy? Where is it coming from? And, and what's been happening behind the scenes? What kind of arguments are going on about what came to be with this program? Yeah, so, you know, one of the controversies, you know, straight up, we just want to get just from the, 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 the highest level. You have some residents who just don't want cannabis legalized in the city of Detroit. So us moving forward with a recreational ordinance has not been um, welcomed by some, even though uh, Detroiters voted 68% uh, in favor of recreational marijuana. You still have a not in my backyard attitude from a lot of folks. So that's one argument that we gotta deal with. Another argument are those individuals who uh, have uh, medical marijuana licenses. Uh, some of them very well may not be able to get their uh, recreational, adult use recreational licenses outright. Um, and there may be a need for partnerships with legacy Detroiters or whoever they want to uh, partner with in order to, uh, for us to achieve the 50% uh, licensing um, for Detroiters. So we, you got that controversy uh, with, with those medical marijuana license holders. And then you also have some uh, legacy Detroit or Detroiters who feel that Detroit hasn't gone far enough. So there are a number of different arguments and controversies depending on who you talk to. When I look at the number of medical licenses that exist right now, I mean, there's, I think I counted over, well over 40 maybe, exist right now as provisioning centers. And you're saying that they would have to perhaps team up with legacy businesses um, or entrepreneurs looking in to get into the industry. So just kind of give me a scenario, like how that might, how you're picturing that might work out. Well, I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, there's no guarantee, especially when we start talking about regulation and licensing that you're guaranteed a license because you have a similar uh, business. And so we have 45 licenses that are available, let's say for dispensaries, um, excuse me, 75 that are uh, available for um, adult retail, what we typically call dispensaries. And so um, again, we hit that 50% 50, 50 threshold. That means about eight or so are going, uh, if we look at the 45 or so medical marijuana facilities that are currently open, which maybe about three or four are actually owned by Detroiters. That means about eight or so uh, will potentially, it may be more, 
uh, have to partner with legacy Detroiters in order for uh, this all to work out. Um, at the end of the day, that's what everyone is going to have to do. Everyone's going to have to make a business decision on if this is the uh, entity, if this is the industry that they want to be in. Uh, whether we talk about Detroiters, whether we talk about uh, individuals who have uh, participated in the medical marijuana industry. It was very important to make sure that we keep that threshold that uh, the number below 100 in terms of uh, uh, having a cap at 75, because there was a wild, wild west going on in the city of Detroit prior to licensing taking place. When I'm speaking of the medical uh, industry. And so we had uh, no less than uh, 250 that we had uh, throughout the city of Detroit. And they were four or five on a block, four or five next to each other. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so in the mindset of many Detroiters, that's part of where this not in my backyard attitude comes from. So we're trying to uh, overturn the, the fears that individuals have of what they've seen in the past, um, but also balancing the uh, reality that this is an industry that we know is um, going to change and, and, and grow as we move on in the future. So keeping that number below 100 was very, very, very important symbolically, but also in speaking with Detroiters, um, it felt that 100 uh, retail establishment was just too much. And I'll tell you this, so we do have what potentially will look like 100 because we have 75 retail establishments, but 35 licenses for micro businesses. And for the average Detroiter, they don't know the difference between a micro and a uh, adult retail because of the retail component. So we've had to be very nimble, uh, making sure again, we address the, the concerns of the community, uh, but also address those uh, pressing issues that we see within the industry in terms of equity and um, uh, diversity. All right, and uh, I know Detroit's relationship with marijuana, the saga has been a, a pretty long one going back to when medical marijuana was first legalized. Um, and I don't think the idea, the perceptions have changed, whether it be from law enforcement and the public to some extent. Can you kind of like take, a, take me through the last 12, 13 years of marijuana in Detroit? And because I know, I mean, it was unique a, a few years ago, like you said, but when there was a couple hundred businesses kind of openly operating and really a lack of clarity and who was legal, who wasn't legal, what was allowed. And, and if you take me through that, I think it'd be beneficial for everybody. Yeah, so we, we started to see, and I'll just, just tell you my personal journey, I never even imagined that we would have, you know, uh, cannabis on this level in the city of Detroit. Um, and this is taking us all the way back to 2013-14. Uh, uh, as you know, we had some very, very, very um, uh, challenging uh, financial situation in the city of Detroit that led us to a bankruptcy, uh, emergency management. And so at the time that we had that emergency management, that's when we started to see all of these businesses pop up. We were as city government, again, uh, I'm not going to take on the role of the emergency manager, but I just know that we were very preoccupied. And I remember that there was one uh, establishment right down the street uh, from where I live. And, you know, on a whim, uh, me and a, a member of my staff, we were just going to businesses, knocking on doors, just going to introduce ourselves. And that one was there and uh, opened the door. And I saw all this marijuana. It just blew me away. I just had no idea that that was taking place in, in the city of Detroit. And so from there, uh, it was important for me to figure out how do we uh, ensure that we don't have an overrun. We looked and uh, had the, uh, the, the uh, uh, building and safety department go and check. And that's when we got that uh, number of about 250 or so uh, dispensaries in the city of Detroit. That was, again, 
None of them were, were, were legal at the time. We didn't have an ordinance which allowed for them. We didn't have zoning, didn't have licensing. And so uh, it was a real battle. Uh, and I was the, the sponsor of the medical marijuana ordinance as well. Very, very contentious issue. Um, and, but what we found more than anything is that the louder uh, individuals in this conversation were those who lived outside of the city of Detroit who were saying that, you know, why are you um, uh, removing our opportunity for medical marijuana in the city of Detroit? Um, and it just wasn't a very, it wasn't a very palatable argument, you know? Again, when you have individuals saying that, you know, why are you removing it out of the city of Detroit and not asking for medical marijuana or recreational marijuana in their own municipality, not willing to put up that, that same fight. It was a little bit disingenuous. It was, uh, it angered a lot of people. Um, but again, it wasn't about trying to keep businesses out. It was about making sure that we um, uh, honored the wishes and the will of the voters who also overwhelmingly voted for medical marijuana in the city of Detroit as well. And so it's been, you know, along this way, it's been a balancing act. And I'll tell you, we've actually, during this process of recreational adult use, we were threatened with a ballot initiative that, that, that failed because it couldn't get the, the requisite signatures. Um, and so we knew that there was pressure coming from all different angles, whether it be from the industry who says, look, if you guys don't want to come up with the ordinance, we'll do it for you. But I know it wouldn't have the same protections that ours has for uh, residents of the city of Detroit. We're getting, again, pressure from Detroit saying, hurry up and get something on the table. We're missing out on all this money that other cities are now starting to, uh, to, to acquire. Uh, but we, from the beginning, we said the money for the city of Detroit is not the priority at this moment. It will come. We did a uh, fiscal uh, analysis, and it indicated that in about four years, we'll be reaping uh, no less than eight to nine million dollars annually uh, from cannabis at its, at its maturity. So we know it's coming. Right now, we've got to, no pun intended, plant the seeds uh, in our community for Detroiters to actually be able to grow in this business in a healthy way. Um, why, did, why did it take so long? I mean, the law passed in 2018. There was a good year before the licensed market opened, and now it's going to take another year and a half from that point before probably the first adult use store opens in Detroit. Can you explain to people why it took that long? Yeah, but see, this is the thing. People are saying it takes so long. This is legislation. This is not just about, you know, creating a, uh, a widget and gidget and giving it to somebody that's cookie cutter. This is the legislation that we've got to try to transform this industry from one that is completely unbalanced in the medical marijuana uh, aspect. And now looking at it, how do we make it again healthy for all who want to participate in the industry for the city of Detroit? And one thing is is commonly missed is that the state did not come up with its rules for cannabis until 2019, June of, or July, excuse me, of 2019. So just coming up with an ordinance and just doing it just to do it, that would be foolish. And especially for an industry that is just in its infancy right now, and we see it has absolutely no ceiling at this point. We know at some point we'll get there, but we're nowhere near that right now. So we have, have to and had to uh, make sure that we look and observe around the country, as I mentioned before, of best practices. What worked? What didn't work? What are some of the things that we genuinely had that we wanted to do and still want to do? Um, but we looked around the country and saw that there were lawsuits that uh, were clear case law to prove that we couldn't do those things. That was the intent to make sure it wasn't just slow down. It wasn't a slow process by any means. We're talking about probably the biggest market in the state of Michigan. And so for us to just willy nilly 
draft draft up an ordinance and then think that we can just come back and amend it, you know, next month, two months. No, what we have in place is going to be here for a minute, uh, but we do know that it's going to evolve and we don't get a second chance to help shape an industry in its infancy. You get one shot at that. So if that means that we had to take a few more months to be more intentional about it, to make sure that we are able to uh, get Detroiters in. And here's, let me, let me say this, and I always forget about this piece. There was some advocacy on our part as well. The state of Michigan, those rules that I talked about indicated that unless you had a medical marijuana license, uh, you would not be able to participate in the adult use uh, industry until 2022. So here I am drafting up an ordinance that uh, is looking to get Detroiters to participate and Detroiters can't participate until 2022. At the time it was 2020. There is no way that we're gonna move forward on an ordinance that freezes out Detroiters. When we have an industry right now, again, about 45 or so in the city of Detroit and only three or so are owned by Detroiters. We knew what the future would look like. So the advocacy took place and in October, the state of Michigan changed that prohibition and they moved that date from 2022 to uh, March of 2021. Well, at that point, there was nothing that was in the way. We now had a clear runway for our ordinance. And about two weeks later, our ordinance was filed with the city clerk. Um, and you know, the rest is history where we are today. So it wasn't really, it wasn't a slow walk by any means. A lot of work, a lot of research that went into the process. Um, and we wanted to be very honest about what we were doing and so we made it transparent and made uh, sure that uh, residents and entrepreneurs had an opportunity to participate and observe what we were doing. Now, Councilman Tate, you mentioned a couple minutes ago that you looked around the country at other programs. Are there any programs that resemble what's happening in Detroit, not only with the legacy portion of making sure that people in a given city own a portion of this industry, but the social equity camp? Part of, the, part of the campaign? Is there uh, something around the country that looks similar to this? Or is this a one-of-a-kind program? So I don't know if I, I would say one-of-a-kind, but we did take some elements that were uh, specific, more specific to Detroit. So we took a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and what we came up with is what we see today with the Detroit Legacy Program. Uh, you know, many of the, the programs around the country have additional incentives for residents who live in that municipality, but some of them are just relegated to a certain part of town. Uh, some of them are relegated to a certain zip code. Uh, for us, we know that the entire city of Detroit, based upon the statistics, was um, uh, disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. We know that. It wasn't one area, it was the entire city of Detroit. And so we were bold enough to move uh, in that direction, uh, where some, uh, again, captured just a small uh, piece. Uh, we also, uh, recognize that there were uh, the challenges with uh, purchase of property. And so uh, looking again around the country, looking at experience here right in the city of Detroit, we knew that we had to identify uh, ways to get properties in the hands of these entrepreneurs. So uh, we are offering certain city-owned properties at 75% uh, discount. Uh, it's not a huge boatload. Um, you know, again, criticism all around. <laughs> but the reality <laughs> is we're doing something that you know, it's, it's hard to find other municipalities doing. We went through the ringer and made sure that it was legal. There was no uh, legal issues to do it. Um, but again, it, what you see with our ordinance is a, uh, a, a mixture of what we've seen around the country. But that piece, I, I don't think you're going to find anywhere else where the city's actually providing, uh, offering properties at 75% discount. 
for the legacy. Well, those properties, are they, they're, they're foreclosed properties or how did the city acquire them? Yeah, the city gets all kind of properties. We, we don't buy them. We end up, you know, uh, for the most part, property, well, we, we buy properties when we're trying to, to swap. But typically these are properties that were absolutely foreclosed on. Um, commercial uh, owners didn't pay the taxes. We've had them over the years looking to get them into productive use. Uh, this gives us an opportunity from the city to do just that, uh, get it on the uh, on the tax rolls, get it open, get that neighborhood looking better. And it's a mix of different types of properties I saw as far as open land, some of them have structures. Are, are some of them like ready to go? Are they gonna need to be built out in order to facilitate marijuana businesses in pretty much all cases? Absolutely, they're absolutely gonna need to be built out. Again, we're offering one of the biggest uh, hurdles. If you don't have a property, then I don't care how, you know, how much money you have, how uh, financially astute you are, how, what your connections are. If you don't have a location, none of that matters. And so the goal was to ensure that we do everything we could to provide some uh, entryway into uh, property ownership. But again, every applicant has to be uh, wise enough to know what they can and cannot do. We're gonna be wise enough to ensure that we don't provide these properties to just anybody who walks uh, in the door. We've got, because we have a limited amount of properties available. So no, uh, I'm sorry, yes. All of the properties are going to need major rehab. Okay. So, uh, I mean, that, that is a big step in the process, like you said, I mean, in city, other cities where they've designated land for licensing, um, those properties jump in value astronomically. So this is a, a for, good first step, but they're still gonna need funding if, unless they're already well-funded on their own, which that's kind of not gonna be the case in a lot of these legacy companies, I assume. So other than partnering with other deep pockets, what ideas are in the works to get that startup funding going? So, I mean, again, I don't want to, uh, to, to put out too much because uh, we are still in the process of working on it, but the, the, the majority of what you'll see is uh, partnerships with funding uh, and lending institutions and entities, as well as individuals who are working to partner with the city of Detroit and, and these entrepreneurs, because at the end of the day, uh, again, this is a business and every these, these entities have to make a business decision if this is the type of uh, industry that they want to participate in. Some have said flat out, not right now. This is not the type of industry that we want to participate in. Uh, others have said, yes, but we have to take it up the, uh, uh, talk, talk to the board. Uh, and it's been, again, a little bit more challenging. We're working with the state as well. Um, when we see around the country, uh, and you probably know this, Gus, when you look around the country, there are some states that actually provide some funding to uh, their municipalities, uh, like California, for instance. They provide a, a funding for their municipalities for social equity. We don't get that here uh, in the state of Michigan. So we're having to be more creative than some of the others. But you know, again, we can't solve every issue. I'm not gonna pretend as if we're going to do so for every uh, applicant who's trying to uh, get a license, whether you are currently in the industry or trying to get into the industry. This is not a uh, one size fits all. You also, as an applicant, have to make sure that you know what you're doing in this industry. Otherwise, you will fail. And when there's a, a huge amount of demand for a limited amount of spaces, I've seen this happen in other communities where they have maybe five licenses, um, it can get kind of messy. And in Detroit, you have that demand, but you have way more licenses too. How are you going to make sure this is a transparent and fair process? And so we are uh, working on all of that right now. Uh, we are uh, providing uh, 
details and information, sounds like you've gone to our website, DetroitMeansBusiness.org backslash homegrown. We're telling everyone, go and take a look at that website. We're working on an FAQ and also um, look to have minutes, uh, as much information and transparently that we can provide on our website. We want to make sure that that's possible. Um, again, there's going to be some challenges along the way. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. And I, I have no doubt that we're going to drop the ball sometime. I mean, there have been some issues that I've seen on the website. You know, uh, there was one, uh, we had uh, a technical issue where legacy Detroiters were trying to apply and pay for their uh, $100 certification and the, uh, the system wouldn't take their, their money and it wouldn't allow them to be certified. Those are some things that we're going to come up against. And, you know, again, very controversial issue if I'm going to apply and I get to the website and it's telling me no. And this is the, at the very beginning of the process. Huge, huge, huge issue. Um, we got it rectified. Um, but we, I, I know for a fact that there's going to be some other issues along the way. And we just got to be prepared and ready to uh, address them as they come. And what interest has been expressed so far? Do you have any idea on numbers of legacy people applying? Yeah, I checked uh, on Thursday was the last time I checked and it was 317 applicants uh, who have applied. It doesn't mean that all are going to get certified, but what that does mean is that we have city employees that are gonna have to go through uh, the applications of at least 317 people. And again, this is less than a month after we've uh, gone live because it just went live on January 19th. And then who's gonna make the final determination? Is that agency? going to determine who gets the limited yeah so we have a group of um uh, it's in the or ordinance uh, licensing uh, uh, language that indicated that there is a group of individuals uh, from the law department is chaired by our uh, civil rights uh, and inclusion and opportunity department creo uh, we have a law department building and safety as well as uh, the police department uh, who are helping to make sure that all of the uh, clearances are proper, but ultimately this, this, the decision will be with the building and safety department because they are the ones who do the licensing. But we are making sure that those other departments are uh, available and assist along the way because we don't want all of that uh, burden on one particular department. At this point, have you can you tell what sort of businesses these applicants are interested in? Because I know some are unlimited grows and then you got your retail. Um, do you get a picture of that right now as far as where, what part of the industry these companies are going to go into? No, we, depending on who you talk to, I mean, you know, we, we may have, uh, you know, individuals who are looking to, to, to get into the retail business. You, you have some who hear about the lower cost that um, the state charges for licensing for micro business. So you hear, you know, individuals saying that they want to get into that area. You have some who re recognize that uh, the industry doesn't move unless you grow. Uh, enough of the flower. So you have those who are looking to get into uh, growing and then you have events. I mean, you name it, it's across the board. Our licensing does not go into effect. Uh, we're not beginning to uh, accept applications for licensing until April, uh, April 1st. So at that point, we'll have a better idea of what uh, the true interest is because we know that, you know, there's a lot of buzz that's out there and there are individuals who are definitely thinking about getting into the industry, but uh, as we move forward, we'll see who's actually serious and who's just aspirational. So at this point, when do you think we'll see the first store open, its doors to the residents? Yeah, I, I, I expect in uh, May, we'll see the first legacies uh, receive their licenses. 
and this is tiered. So they'll open first and then you'll have the second tier is kind of the people who exist in the medical market. And then third, if it gets that far, would be opened up to um, everyone else medical right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which is which is looking pretty doubtful that there's going to be room for them at this point. If no, not necessarily, because you got to understand this: that Detroiters are the ones who set the pace. Remember, we talk about fifty percent of the licensing. So we don't have, uh, let's say, hypothetically speaking, that first round, because you still got to go through the licensing with the state and the city as well. So it's not just us just throwing out licenses to uh, Detroiters just because they're Detroiters. You still have to go through each and every phase uh, that is required. And so if we don't meet a, a certain threshold on the front end in terms of Detroiters, there will be more licenses available, not just for uh, those who are outside, but also for legacy Detroit. I do not believe that we're going to, uh, in this first round, uh, end up um, uh, absorbing all the licenses available, uh, even for the ones that are capped. I, I, don't, I don't anticipate that. Okay. Um as far as the black and gray market, with this being such a lucrative industry, it's already been existing in that sense in Detroit. And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of demand for these licenses. What is the current status of the, the black and gray market and how what is the city doing to curb that? Well, the first thing that we did was we created this ordinance to address the, uh, the black and uh, gray market. But ultimately, when you look around the, the, the country, the black and, and gray market doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go away. Everyone will say, you know, I got stronger this, I've got, you know, can get you more of that. Uh, but what we wanted to do was make sure that there was a legitimate legal way uh, for entrepreneurs to have generational wealth uh, along the way. So the first thing, and I think the most important thing that we can do and have done is uh, create a legitimate uh, opportunity for those who are looking to actually get into a legal industry. Councilman James Tate, thank you so much for the time today. This has been amazing. We will let you get on with your day, but thank you for the time and good luck in May. Eric and Gus, thank you guys. I appreciate it anytime. Thank you. And there they go. A big thanks to Gus Burns for always riding along and helping me do these interviews and getting the questions out. And to Councilman James Tate for joining us on this episode. See you next time.